Hear the word of God. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go again to Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the, he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sakes I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go, that we may die with him. Let's pray. O Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, your life-giving word. Lord, we pray that you take this word shape our hearts, conform us ever more greatly to Christ, and make us wise in him for wiser Christian lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We all remember gym class, right? If you're homeschooled, you probably didn't have gym class, but the rest of us remember gym class. Whole books could be written on gym class. And I remember in gym class once when we were doing long distance running, running all through the community and then coming back. It was very hard to teach that. Uh, I remember there were certain students who would take off with the rest of us and they would duck out maybe into somebody's home who lived nearby. And then waiting for the group to come running by uh, would, would jump back in. <sighs> and then run back into the gym all panting and so forth. Some of you are smiling because it was you, I suspect. But uh, yeah, Paul compares the Christian life to a long-distance race. Second Timothy 4.7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You can fool the gym teacher, or can you? but you cannot fool God. Sometimes we try to fool even ourselves that we're in the game when we're not. Uh, I played rugby in the ninth grade. I did wrestling throughout the rest of high school, and I, I did cross-country running throughout the high school, but in the ninth grade, and the ninth grade only, I did rugby. I was 14 years old. And I had difficulty tackling. Not that I was afraid to, but I'd tackle the, the guy, and he would always land on my head. And I'd get up. Well, I was doing something wrong, and I would get up all dizzy and so forth. I'll try that again. And the same thing happened, as I recall. And a well-meaning person advised me. He said, I played rugby when I was a boy as well. And, but what I would do is uh, I would go to tackle a guy, and then I would just hold out my arm and let him knock it so that it looked like I was tackling, but I didn't quite make it. And the thought 
of following this advice was appalling to me. To follow that advice and, and live comfortably with cowardice, no. The advice Christ's disciples are giving him here is somewhat like that. But if Jesus had followed their advice and accepted being comfortable with cowardice, there would have been no cross for him and no hope for us. Jesus knows that his disciples are still too timid and still too worldly for the task that is set before them. And John, who's writing this gospel, is warning us against the same. So Jesus here provokes a teaching opportunity by saying to them, let us go to to Judea again, in verse 7. And they respond to him. They object with two objections. Uh, The first in verse 8 is, it's dangerous. Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? This seems like reasonable advice on the face of it. At the end of chapter 8, they tried to stone him for saying, before Abraham was, I am. They knew he was claiming to be God. I am. Uh, And this, after they called him the devil's spawn earlier in chapter 8. At the end of, almost the end of chapter 10, uh, they picked up stones to stone him. And after he said, I and the Father are one, not afraid to say hard things, our Lord. And then almost at the end of the chapter, uh, they tried to arrest him because he said, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So you would think after all this, you lay low. But Jesus says, let's go to Judea again. And with the word again, he's provoking them. I know what I'm doing. Let's go there again. Uh, What they're doing, the disciples, that is, they are distrusting the one whom they have trusted. They trusted him when they left everything. They left their jobs, they left their callings, they left their communities, and they followed Jesus. That is jumping out there in absolute trust. And they trusted him when they stood with him in John chapter 6 against the crowds who said, this is a hard teaching. Who can, who can, who can believe this? Who can follow him? And they all left. But the disciples, these disciples, they stayed with him. And they said, you have the words of eternal life. Where else will we go? Now, They're not trusting him. Now they're questioning if Jesus can save even his own life, never mind theirs. Let's go with him and die. So Jesus responds, the only danger is in unfaithfulness. Where do we have that? Uh, He's lost his page. There we are. Verses 9 and 10. Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble. But he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. There's 12 hours of daylight, more or less. And when you journey, you journey during the day. They didn't have cars and illuminated, illuminated highways and headlights and things like this. You travel. You know when to travel and when not to travel. You travel during the day. Why? Because if you travel at night, it's dark. It is very dark 
There's no even illuminating cities bouncing off uh, clouds and, and giving you some nothing. And if it's dark, you can stumble and you can hurt yourself. Or there may be bandits looking for foolish people who travel at night. And then, and then if you stumble and hurt yourself or if you're set upon by bandits, there's no one to help you because it's night and it's dark. In addition, it's cold. You might say, well, you, surely you travel at night when it's not the heat of the day. It's not just cool, it's cold. You don't travel at night for all these reasons. So too, in the Christian life, we walk by the light of God's word. Romans 13, 12 and 13. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So, when, so then, let's cast off the dirt deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to satisfy its desires. Uh, Walking in the daytime is paralleled with putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, see how it's written there. Let us walk properly in the daytime. Well, what does that mean? Not these various things, but putting on Christ. In other words, it's the opposite of those knots. Uh, not orgies and drunkenness, not, not, sensua- not sensuality, but sobriety in control of yourself, not carried away by your, your desires, but, but, but mindful of what you know God wants from you. Uh, chastity, uh, living in chastity, uh, uh, in control of your vessel, of your, of your body, and, and not carried away again by desires. And once married, you are faithful to the one to whom you are married. And then uh, uh, quarreling and jealousy, well, well not, not self-absorption. Jealousy, am I getting mine? Is somebody taking mine? Uh, quarreling, my side, not your side. Uh, I'm right, you're wrong. Anger, right? Not of this, not, not of this. Self-control, self-forgetting. This is what he's talking about. In other words, these things are dangerous. It's like walking, taking a journey by foot at night. It's dangerous. What is safe? Christ-likeness in Christ is safe. This is safe living. It's prudent. It's wise. As it is unsafe to journey at night, so too it is foolish and perilous to live in defiance of Christ. There is safety only in faithfulness. The only danger in life is departing from the counsel of God's word. Young people especially. When I say young people, I mean if you are 10 years old, 16 years old, 21 years old, and, you're, and your life is, a, is ahead of you, and, you're, and you're, you're developing God's gifts, and you're looking for how best to use God's gifts. Uh, what, where is life going to go, and, 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 and what am I going to do in going there? There is safety only in faithfulness. The only danger in life is departing from the counsel of God. Make your plans, people. Make your plans in the purposes of God and then trust him. John Piper wrote an excellent book, a little book called 
very direct, Don't Waste Your Life. It's a great book, especially for young people whose lives stretch out and fan out before them. Don't waste your life. And then he gives good counsel. Uh, there was, on that theme, there was a great missionary named C.T. Studd who wanted to live totally for God, not retreating from battle, but in the thick of battle. He was born in 1860 and attended Cambridge University. And he was a famous cricketer. You might say, that sounds like a contradiction. But it was a long time ago, and it was England. So you could be famous because you were a cricketer. And he was the heir to a great fortune. So he had everything going for him. He had these massive advantages in life. Cambridge University, famous sports star, inherited fortune. And he caused a sensation in the press when at the age of 25, he resolved to give it all away and give it all up. And he went to China to be a missionary, and he founded the China Inland Mission. C.T. Studd did not take the safe road, but he used his time, and he used his opportunity fully for Christ. And he wrote a famous poem. This was back when poems could be famous, and one could be famous for writing poems. (laughs) And he he ended this poem in this way, which are still well-known words. Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say twas worth it all. Only one life. T'will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. If you understand that you have only one life. And it's remarkably short. It has a beginning, it has an end, and you're in the middle of it before you know it. And then you blink, and it's almost done. And, and you know that it is from God. It comes from God, and its days are numbered by God. Then why, if you know these things, why would you live by any other principle than thy will be done? And no matter what the earthly cost during that life, no matter what your earthly suffering, no matter what scorn you endure, having served the king and entered into his glorious presence, how could you not say, no matter what is past, t'was worth it all? If I were to publish an autobiography, which I won't, because who cares, right? <laughs> But if I did, I would call it only one life. Brothers and sisters, inscribe this over the entryway to all your mornings. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Then the disciples had another objection. It's not only dangerous what you're suggesting... Lord, but it's also unnecessary. Why is Jesus leading them back to Judea? He tells them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Verse 11. And in their fear, they argue with him. (laughs) When we stop laughing, we read, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. So we can stay here where it's safe. 
yeah. But by sleep, sleep was often a way of referring to people being dead in the Lord, right? Uh, why? Because like sleepers, they're, they're, they, they lay down, but they will rise again, right? That's what sleepers do. They lay down, they sleep, and they rise again in the morning. And, and people who lay down at the end of their days, but have a hope in the Lord of rising again, are comparable to sleepers in that way. And not only that, but the disciples knew this, right? How do I know that they knew? Because it's in Daniel chapter 12. They surely knew the prophet Daniel. They surely knew chapter 12. And they surely knew this well-known line. Many of those who sleep, says Daniel, in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. They knew this. But they also know that you don't take a three-day journey to wake somebody from sleep. How do I know they know that? Because it's obvious. And yet, verse 13, they thought that he meant taking a rest in sleep. Well, obviously not. But they weren't thinking because they didn't want to think because they wanted safety. And so here's an example of how we suppress something that is obviously true and that we should know, but we suppress it because it's an inconvenient truth, because we want to take the safe way, the trouble-free way, and that's what they're doing. These men were trying to avoid their service. Think of soldiers who, instead of fighting and facing danger in war, hide off in a barn, waiting out the war. And then they come out when victory is declared, and they reintegrate themselves into the army, and they, and they rejoice with everyone else. Right? They're still soldiers, but they're faithless soldiers, and they are shameful. Is that your Christian life? There's a war going on, and you are on the Lord's side. There's, the thing about war is that, that fight is never far off. It's not hard to find. And it's true of the Christian life as well. Fight is always nearby. And the fight, you're called to it. You know, they're killing babies on Long Island. They're killing babies on Long Island surprising though it may be. And New York State has withdrawn all restraints. Moms, do whatever you want to them. It's up to you. What are we doing about it? I know many people are doing many things. Do you know that your neighbors are in the grip of Satan? Not as many as you would think, but nonetheless, what are we doing about it? Are you laying low and not getting involved until you share in the victory at the end? Battle is scary. Battle, bombs bursting over your head. Bullets whistling past your ear. It's scary partly because of the nearness of death, your death. And it's scary partly because of the chaos and unpredictability 
of the, of the battlefield. But as soldiers of Christ, you have no reason to fear the battle. You, because you know it's not chaos, it's not unpredictable. You know how it's going to end. It's in the Bible. There's victory for the Lord, and you are in the Lord. You're on his side, on his, in his army. You know in earthly battles, we don't know these things. But in this battle, we do. And victory is also for you. You cannot perish in this war. You are sure to flourish in this war. How do I know? God says so. Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So given that, we who are on the Lord's side, we who are engaged in battle, that's why he left us behind. Why didn't he just save us and whisk us off to realms of glory, into the heavenly choir? The battle is not done. And he calls us soldiers. So how can, what can we do to warn and to witness in this war? How can we sacrifice to relieve the distresses of others? Is there a ministry you can help? Uh, speaking of help, uh, this congregation is connected with, has been connected with Helping Hands uh, Rescue Mission in Huntington. And people have been involved in that. There are people sitting right here, and we know them, who are involved in Long Island youth mentoring and, and in Christ Calling, uh, uh, which ministers to families in distress who are living in shelters. Uh, they're all volunteers. Or maybe teaching in Sunday school. Here are young people who need you. Uh, youth group, local evangelism. Uh, I, men- I mentioned people in distress Families are falling apart. There's, fa- there's distressed families. This is, this is Christ's calling. Helps children, young people who are in distressed families and all the, 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 the distress of that falls down upon them who are least capable of dealing with it and they need help. And families in this church, I know in this church, people look in on other people's kids and, and we support one another's families. Uh, that is also the Lord's work. Or, or just being ready to offer aid to the suffering. Uh, when you see them, when you cross their paths, whose paths the Lord has given you to cross? Instead of the default thinking of, I'll mind my own business, this person is none of my business. And unless you think I'm pointing at you and shaking my jowls, Oh, my goodness. I remember, and I will never forget, when I was traveling in Europe uh, in 1982. I'd finished my first year at University of Toronto. I was over there with Dino and Gino and my brother Paul, and we'd been over there a month. And England, you know, the usual, England, France, Italy. And we were at our last day in Germany, in Frankfurt, 
And Dino, Gino, and Paul went into this It was very early in the morning, hardly anyone around, but somehow this door was open. And they went in. I didn't, I didn't want to go in. I stood around outside in the street. And this teenager walked up to me, tall, gangly, knobbly kneed. And he said, Haben Sie fünf, zehn, oder zwanzig coins? And I said, I don't speak German. Uh, in other words, my, my Toronto experience, policy, don't give money to beggars. They'll just use it for bad things, and you'll encourage people to ask people for money. So you don't. Here's this kid, no. I said, I don't speak German. You don't have to study much German to understand uh, what he was saying. And I knew full well what he was saying. Oh, he says, because everyone in Germany speaks English. Oh, oh, so do you have any 5, 10, or 20 uh, Fennec pieces? No. And like a hopeless ghost, he looked at me and said, No? No. Oh. And he wandered away. And I thought, and I, I wasn't a Christian at the time. I'd never been to church in my life, although I'd been reading the Bible for a year. It hadn't stuck, though. And uh, I said, David, you are a horrible human being. He clearly was in need. Policy doesn't apply here. So I went out looking for him, nowhere to be found. And I hope the Lord took care of him. He was clearly run away from home or something like this. But there I was in a position to help this person, and I didn't. And, and later on, a churchgoer, a Christian, uh, walking to... Walking to uh, college, walking from my apartment to Commonwealth Avenue where I catch the trolley into campus, and there's houses, and there's a little wall, and there's a girl sitting on the wall, and she's weeping into her hands. She's a teenager, I guess. Again, again a teenager. Boo-hoo-hoo. And it's none of my business. Walk on. And I remember her to this day. David, you couldn't have stopped and asked, what's wrong? Do you want to talk? Oh, I'll miss my trolley. So... Uh, maybe, maybe you have maybe a word of encouragement, like, like, young lady, Jesus came so that you could have life and have it to the full. If that's all you can give her, you've given her something. You never know. Always be ready to help someone in need and, and, and without the sort of policy defenses of none of my business, open to the sufferings of other people. People in the church, people, strangers on the street, openness. That is the warfare. That is, is fighting the good fight, as the apostle said. Or even you just be ready with gospel aid to the lost. Uh, you know, you know the way of life. You are walking in that way. And you know the hope that is at the end of that way. And I, I, I live with Christians. I, I work with Christians. I do take the subway and the train, though. Uh, but you also live and work and play alongside people who need what you have. You have a treasure. You have life, the words of life. And you are amongst people who don't have it. And you can share what you have 
without losing it all. If you take $100 out of your account or five out of your pocket, you're down five, you're down 100 because you've given it to somebody else. Well, okay. But you can share the treasure Christ has put in your heart and in your mind and invested in transforming ways in your life. You can share that and you have just as much as you had before. In fact, you may have more as a result. I was reading about the Deacons Conference. Back there, we have uh, copies of New Horizons and and the cover stories on the recent Deacons Conference. And I was reading it on last Sunday afternoon. It's a good thing to do on Sunday afternoon. And Al Tricarico, who had been a missionary in Uganda, said, Do you believe that the Father has been merciful to you? Show that mercy. Underline. Show mercy to the people in your life whose only means of the gospel mercy may be you. Brothers and sisters, if the safe road is holding you back from the good fight, then abandon it. It's not safe. Unlike war between nations, the only safe place in this war is in the thick of battle. Find the battle lines, go there, that is where Jesus, your defender, is. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, forgive us for shrinking back. Forgive us for looking for safe places which are not the safe places. Father, we pray that you give us the wisdom and the spirit to rally alongside our Jesus. Rally amongst those in his service and follow him wherever he goes. Follow the lamb who is the lion wherever he goes because there is battle and there is safety and there is honor. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.